Welcome to Funding the Dream, the number one podcast for the number one crowdfunding platform, Kickstarter. Now here's your host, Richard Bliss. Welcome to Funding the Dream on Kickstarter. I'm Richard Bliss, the host. This is a special episode, a milestone episode. We're episode 250. And if you have a milestone episode, I thought might as well have a special guest to celebrate your milestone with you. So I've brought back a guest who's been on the show many times, who was one of the original guests on the show, and who happens to just by coincidence have a Kickstarter campaign running. So I'm welcoming back Howard Taylor, creator of Schlock Mercenary. Howard, thanks for joining me. Oh, Richard, it's it's a pleasure to be back, and I'm excited that you've managed to do 250 of these. I, uh, I talk to a lot of people about, you know, Kickstarters and crowdfunding, and uh, and when they ask about resources, I point them at your podcast, not just because you've interviewed me, and, you know, I love the sound of my own voice, but because uh, you've done some really neat episodes where you've talked to people whose, uh, whose Kickstarters have failed, and boy... Nothing teaches like failure. That is so true, and I have had I've had I, and I always tell people when people uh, comment on the on me and my Kickstarter expertise, it's like yeah, I have great guests, and my guests have been willing to share their successes and their failures. Let's just for the sake of the ep- of the episode, let's tell our listeners what kick what's your Kickstarter campaign that's running right now, and what number is this? I mean, I know you've done a couple. Okay. Um, well, the, the Kickstarter campaign that's currently running is the Planet Mercenary role-playing game, which is a tabletop role-playing game set in the universe of my comic strip, Schlock Mercenary. Um, and we'll be producing you know, uh, a role-playing book, you know, a, a source book with rules and uh, you know, characters and places and monsters and technology. Um, and we'll be making some dice and some other... Uh, some other goodies. Um, in the past, we did a we did a Kickstarter for uh, challenge coins. Again, for the Schlock Mercenary universe, uh, Sandra and I did a Kickstarter for um, her children's book. And really, Sandra did the Kickstarter. My, you know, my job was my job was moral support. Um, and then my very first Kickstarter was the uh, Living World Games uh, Kickstarter for Schlock Mercenary Capital Offensive. Which was a board game built on uh, built on my comic. So we've been doing this. We've been doing this now for a while. I've done my 250 episodes. You've run some Kickstarter campaigns. You know, um, I was just ta- we were talking you and I beforehand. You and I have known each other for a very long time, and you have been a web. Car- How long have you been a web cartoonist? Uh, Fifteen years. Has it really been that long? I say 15 years. Um, yeah, 15 years. 15 years, yeah. and then... Full- uh, March of 2000. March of 2000 was when I first started drawing. Uh, June of 2000 was when the first scripts went up. Uh, I've been doing it full-time since, uh, uh, I think, two days after Talk Like a Pirate Day of 2004. Yep. Um, September of 2004, so... And then shortly after that, and the reason I bring this up is because when you became full-time, you quit a fairly nice job at a software technology company, big salary, a nice position, uh, and you quit that to go be a full-time web cartoonist. In a day and age, you know, 11 years ago, when people didn't know even what web cartooning was, 
And back then, for when it came to um, the financial side of things, how you made money being a web cartoonist, I mean, you and I were talking, I was one of your very first corporate sponsors, wasn't I? Yes. And for the first, uh, for the first 15 months, and they were very scary months, uh, the webcomic was not making very much money. It was pulling in a little bit of ad revenue, uh, but a lot of what I was feeding the family with was savings and was cartooning that I was doing for my friends who were in the corporate space. And that was a lot of fun. And what was interesting is that now we're talking, here we are 11 years later, and you're running a Kickstarter campaign that's doing very well, um, almost 1,500 backers. And you've got uh, several weeks, to, well, you've got uh, 18 days to go, and you've crossed the 100, almost $120,000. Is that right? Yeah, yes, yes. And it's, um, we're in that slow, that, that yeah. slow belly of the, uh, of the Kickstarter um, there's some real exciting stretch goals at 150,000 uh, and beyond, and I think we'll hit that mark. But I think that the um, uh, I think that the momentum required to hit that mark isn't going to show up until we're you know 10 days from the end. Sure, and that's just based on my experience with Kickstarters. You know, there are some that capture the public consciousness and go way outside of their original audience. And there are others that, you know, sell into their audience, sell into their crowd, and that follow this sort of a shallow S-curve where there's a spike at the beginning and a, you know, long shallow bit in the middle and then another uptick at the end. What's, so. what's, what's changed so much, though, is from the very beginning, back in the early days of Kickstarter, um, when you and I first talked, and, and the reason I bring this up about how you raised money in the early days, as, a, as an artist today, it is so different from the linear approach that we had back when you were starting. You know, back then it was you work, you get paid money. Um, not that you don't work and get paid money now, but, the, but it's not nearly as linear. It's not nearly as directly in that now you've got, you've got a Patreon campaign that you have running simultaneously with a Kickstarter and your Patreon account uh, is doing well. You have your advertising on your website. You have your books. You have uh, events that you go to. You have merchandise that you sell. You've really taken what we, this content marketing concept and used it very effectively. And now Kickstarter, in some ways, is just becoming a natural progression of that. Would you agree with that? So 2006, Robert Koo gave me the 40% rule, which is that no more than 40% of your revenue should come from any one source. And at that time... 80% of my revenue came from selling books. And I realized that I needed to branch out. I needed to build other merchandise. I needed to beef up the advertising. I needed to do something. And so today, uh, yeah, there's the Patreon. There's the merchandise that the Kickstarter is going to create. There's the book merchandise. There's the advertising on the website. Uh, and I look at all of these, and I hope that there's no way for me to make all of them fail at once. <laughs> uh, um, uh, you know, it's not a too big to fail sort of thing because we all know how uh, we all know how that how that works. Um, it's a it, well, it's like a diversified portfolio. Um, I uh, on the advertising front, for instance, um, I have an Amazon affiliates account, and that affiliates account, if I make a point of uh, doing a book review or linking to some music that I bought, 
using that affiliates account, um, I, those, those numbers will be higher that month. And if I forget to do that, those numbers are lower. And so every month I try and pay attention to that piece because you know, sometimes, you know, one book review might be, might be the difference between, uh, you know, $1,000 in ad revenue and $1,800 in ad, re- ad revenue. Really? Um, it's, it's that, it's that, it can be that dramatic. Yeah. It can be that dramatic because on, uh, uh, with an Amazon affiliates, I'm not getting uh, a cut of books that are sold. Well, I am, but I'm also getting a cut uh, of anything that gets put in the cart when people go shopping for that book, you know, when people link from my site. And I, people will buy large screen TVs. You know, I've got, a, I've got enough readers out there that every month there's people buying expensive stuff on Amazon. And Jeff Bezos, bless his heart, is giving me, you know, Four percent, and that's because when they got to Amazon by clicking on your, they have to make that purchase after having clicked through, right? It's not like they go back later on Amazon, right? Yes, just just that you you got them onto Amazon, and then they were there. They were like, "Oh, hey, you know what? I just remembered I need to buy myself a four thousand dollar TV." Uh huh. (laughs) And you know, in the in the content space, uh, especially with my friends who are uh, science fiction authors, uh, who you know, this whole, uh, you know, uh, Amazon, Apple, uh, agent model, uh, ebook brouhaha. A lot of them look at Amazon and say, wow, you know, having an affiliates account is kind of being in bed with the enemy. Um, and yeah, you know what, to an extent that's true. Uh, and which is why Amazon is not more than 40% of my revenue. Because at any given time, I might reach a point where I just have to turn it off and I have to depend on other things. And what's interesting is that um, the other things continue to evolve, right? When Back when we started, um, even with the Kickstarter stuff, even when I started the, epi- the Kickstarter uh, podcast, you were one of my first guests. Even that is evolving. How and the different ways that you can continue to monetize your content, that that people are willing to consume this content and it's almost, it's not like it suddenly was invented and we didn't know it existed. It's like a whole mind change has happened amongst us as content creators and the consumers of that content. It's like some strange warp that we went through that now suddenly it's just normal for people to be exchanging money back and forth for content that's free. You know, I think um, in terms of, in terms of a metaphor, uh, I think it's like, you know, a, a town built in the 1880s, and then in the 1920s, the city fathers realize, you know, we can put cars on these roads, and suddenly everyone's driving. Um, in 2005, I did a presentation at the Apache conference in which I talked about what I was calling the free content business model, and I explained how, you know, with a large enough audience... I only need a small percentage of people to buy my things. I only need a tiny percentage of people to actually click on ads and I can make a living. And that's, that's something that was, you know, kind of new back then. And that evolved into this patronage system where I give away content and put up a Patreon and, you know, a small percentage of the people who consume it love it enough to just give me money. 
even though the content is free. Uh, the content is not dependent on them committing that transaction. And that's something that's really foreign to a lot of people. I spoke at a, uh, spoke at a business class at the local uh, uh, state university, Utah Valley University, and, uh, and tried to explain Kickstarter to them. And every one of these business students, and understand these are, these are, uh, these are kids of, you know, this generation. These are 20 year olds who theoretically have grown up with this stuff. Every last one of them was asking, yes, but why would they give you money? Yes. No, 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 no. Why? Why do they give you money? And, and what's funny is that I looked at that class and realized this is a group of people who, probably would never pay into my Patreon. This isn't the group of people who is, uh, who is helping me out. It's a different group that I'm speaking to. And so when we talk about Kickstarter and Patreon and these new methods, I think part of what we're doing is tapping into a, uh, tapping into a benevolent sort of mini Medici uh, attitude among a segment of the population and, I mean, I'd love to see everybody uh, wanting to participate in that way. Um, in some ways, in some ways it's always been there. You know, I talk about crowdfunding has been around forever. Every Sunday when the, the plate gets passed at church, that's a form of crowdfunding. Yeah. What's, what's happened, and you've kind of touched on it here, is that there's been a, a mental shift as a society, not all of society, but people who are now paying attention to Kickstarter, who are paying attention to Patreon, uh, the you know the people who are listening to this uh, show right now who are my Patreon backers who are supporting my you know they'll get the content for free I'm going to do it anyway but they have stepped up and said I want to say thank you Amanda Palmer I've mentioned her on many episodes has a fantastic mm-hmm. TED talk about this concept of saying thank you and that when you give something or you provide value that you need to provide your fans an opportunity for a way to say thank you and sometimes. And this is kind of what's happened with Kickstarter. Even though so many people are talking about it, I am rambling off on all kinds of different tangents here, but I'm just going to keep going. And that is that Kickstarter, um, you know, so many people say it's a pre-order system. But it, okay, yes, it does serve that function, but so much of it is more about people saying, I like what you're doing, thank you for doing it. And that's what Patreon's about, Kickstarter, and we're, and we're seeing more and more of that. And it's becoming more and more common for people to be comfortable with giving money to people who don't need it, and for people who don't need the money, asking money from people that they would normally have never asked the money from. Is that, did I say that? Yeah, I, yeah I, I think so. And, uh, I mean, when you say don't need the money, I don't need your $2.50 in order to get by this month, but I need... I do need money to That's get right. by this month. And, and, um, and so it's a it's a... Right. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a weird sort of the guest, a weird sort of I just, had, I just had a guest on who is a former Google attorney. Okay, she's a, go, a former Google attorney launching a Kickstarter campaign, and she even says, "Look, I don't need the money, but she needs to validate and 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 create and participate in a community." She's making these hemp tote bags. It was Deb Reed who was on a previous episode, mm-hmm. and 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 that's what I mean by. We have grown comfortable now asking people to give us money when they look at us and they see that we're well off, we have a nice home, a nice family, drive a nice car. You know, it doesn't have to be a fancy car, but 
They're like, why do I need to give you 20 bucks? You've got money. That conversation isn't happening anymore. Now it's like, oh, I understand what the model, the, the, this model that's happening with us. Yeah. Now, one thing that I have discovered, um, and fortunately I haven't discovered it the hard way, uh, is that people are more likely to contribute to a Patreon or to a Kickstarter if the personality behind it is not being a jerk. What does that mean? I mean, um, I know what it means not to be a jerk, but what do you mean? And why would you distinguish that? I Well, um, if I am caustic and abusive in the tone I take with my supporters, if I am mean on the Internet, if there are great examples of me being a jerk in some sort of public social online space, I feel like people are going to be less likely to contribute to my cause because they want to give money to people who are nice. And that's not to say that I'm not going to do things that I believe in, you know, and it's, I guess it's a good thing that I don't believe that I need to be a jerk in order to get my job done. Um, I don't know. I, maybe this is maybe this is purely anecdotal, but I feel like the most successful uh, crowdfunding and uh, uh, you know the, the Patreons, the Kickstarters, the Indiegogos, um, the successful ones are being run by people who are nice or who at least can you know appear nice. Yeah, that's a very really valid uh, point. I often say that uh, crowdfunding or Kickstarter is the monetization of your reputation. And that's, that's kind of what you're talking about here is, is that these people are yep. nice. We like them. We've got to know them. Maybe I've never met them, but I've got to know them and I like them and okay, 20 bucks and I get to help them feel good and I feel good about it. Yeah. yeah. Right. It's well, and it's, it's related to, I say related to, I think it's one of the, one of the contributing streams to this concept of social capital. Uh, you know, when I blog about a thing, and tell people to go do a thing, whether it's, you know, oh, hey, go buy my friend's book or, you know, come do my Kickstarter or, you know, hey, here's this music I found that I think is awesome. Or this great um, podcast, am, this great podcast that you like. Oh, this podcast. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I am spending, I'm spending social capital. And if I am nice, I think my, my pool of social capital is deeper. Um, if I am always pointing people at, you know, a Kickstarter or a Patreon or something, whether or not it's mine. If I'm always, you know, harping on people to, to open their wallets, uh, the, the pool of social capital is, is, is smaller. smaller. People get tired of, tired of seeing that. And so when we talk about content marketing, um, the, the ratio of spending social capital to providing interesting content, because often those happen in the same stream. Right. Uh, you got to you got to pay attention to that ratio. You know, on Twitter, I could say uh, I could do nothing but tweet about my uh, Kickstarter project. You know, all day if I wanted to. But that's not why people follow me on Twitter. They follow me on Twitter because sometimes I say funny things. And you do. So I still have to do that. Yes. I still have to be that guy. And that, and that is the balance that so many people find challenging. Howard, we're out of time. Oh, we are always 
always out of time, and that's because it's so much fun to talk to you. I know, and, and you're in the middle of a campaign, and you've got so much going on, and you took some time out to talk to me, and I certainly appreciate it. Uh, people can find your Kickstarter project, the Planet, the Planet Mercenary Role Playing Game, or just type in Howard Taylor. Yep. That's with an E R, Howard Taylor. Yep. And well, or, or or I created a short link for it. If you go to bitly bit.li slash pm hyphen rpg, all caps. Actually, maybe that's too complicated. Yeah, just Google yeah. Planet Mercenary Role Playing Game. Yeah, let's just put in or Howard Taylor. I think that might even work. Howard, thank you so yeah. much for your time. Thank you, Richard. It's always a pleasure. And hey, congratulations on the big, uh, the big two hundred and fifty. Here's to uh, here's to five hundred. Here's to five hundred. We're going to hit it in record time. Uh, we're kind of getting back into the groove of things. Howard, thanks again. Take care. You've been listening to Funding the Dream on Kickstarter. My guest has been one of my perennial favorites, a very old and dear friend. Well, he's not that old, but he is a dear friend. Howard Taylor, uh, his Kickstarter project is the Planet Mercenary role-playing game. And we've been talking about diversifying your income, about the free content business model, and about all the different ways that you can think about creating free content and making money from it. Hopefully you found something inspiring. I always do. And don't forget to check out our own Patreon account so that we can continue to bring this great show to you on a regular basis. Thanks for listening. Take care.